Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Collective on the Ayn Rand Center UK channel. Here with me, I'm Jacqueline Schumann. Here with me today are Paul Gay and Jonathan Honing. Say hey. Hey. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, Jax. Thank you for having me and great to be with our audience and our super chatters as well. And I want to support the fact that Jonathan is doing great and looking even better today. Jonathan always looks like he's camera ready. Uh, like he could go on the news at a moment's notice, a moment's notice. And yet he has that college student who's really smart look too, which is very appealing. I'm that enjoying is. the show. I don't know if anyone else is, but uh, thank you all. And thanks. Great to be with you guys. And we have a fascinating topic today. Speaking of how you look uh, in terms of uh, a recent uh, show on Netflix, but even important, the question of skin color when it comes to casting an actor. Yeah, so so the show that we're uh, that we're talking about today, and uh, and it's not a show that you that uh, anyone needs to have seen. It is it. In fact, I haven't seen it, uh, but it is a show on Netflix called Qu Queen Cleopatra, um, and uh, it is actually it's not a fiction. Which at first I thought that it was um, that it was an historical fiction, but it's actually supposed to be a documentary. So it's more like a docudrama. Um, and uh, it is um, it, it, it stars a, as the Egyptian queen Cleopatra. It stars a, a British black woman. Um, now, this show was uh, it runs on Netflix and it was put together by Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it has received some really, really terrible reviews on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It gets the critics review, gives it a 10 percent. The um, uh, the readers review give it a two percent on IMDb. I've never seen a score so low on IMDb. It receives its one star <laughs> out of ten. Um, the the reviews are uh, you now. It's interesting. I'm not sure that the low reviews are the result of the reason for the topic of our show today. But it is worth noting that that there were, it, I read this mostly in the uh, in the reader reviews or, in, or just in the average watcher reviews, that they felt it was a bastardization of Queen Cleopatra or Cleopatra by uh, casting a black woman, a British black woman where it, it should have been an Egyptian woman in her place. So that sort of brings us to our topic today of um, what should we do when we're casting actors? Should we remain true to the, if we're talking about historical fiction or adaptation, where I think it applies the most, should we remain true to uh, the author or the or the history? So would we conceivably, you know, would, would we ever want to cast a black Thomas Jefferson? Uh, um, how would that, how would that play out? Or I think more in, in in terms of adaptation, it's uh, it's interesting. So if you take uh, if you take a, a a great book like Atlas Shrugged, um, would that book still play if we changed up the races and sexes of uh, of all of the characters? Uh, oh, uh, my the dog I'm house sitting for is making a special appearance right there behind me. Um, so it it uh, I have my own I have my own thoughts on this, um, but I wanted to see what you guys thought about it. It should be an interesting discussion. Oh, um, you're, you're in the entertainment world, you know. You're this is a world you work in and have worked in for a long time. And I, is this kind of what they used to call colorblind casting? 
I think we've gone. I think we've gone beyond colorblind to a point where pushing diversity for the sake of pushing diversity is what people are looking for um, in the film industry. So I'm gonna I'm gonna opine for a while, and please cut off my mic uh, whenever you start to fall asleep. O opine away. Okay. So I'm gonna. So just a, my background is um, I'm a writer. I direct a little bit. I act a little bit, and I love going to movies and I love going to plays. So that's that's my interest in this. The question to me is, what is acting? And I think acting is pretending. I think the definition of acting is pretending to be somebody that you're not. And I think a good actor is somebody who convinces us that he or she is that person. So I think the job of the actor is to embody the character as written and to convince us that he or she is that character. So I see acting as an art and a craft. Now, I think the the when when people are saying that there's a problem with the ethnicity or the color or the sexual orientation or gender or whatever of the actor, they're looking at something that's very different from that, in my opinion. They're looking in terms of representation and diversity. They're looking for, is the race correct? Is the ethnicity correct? By the way, I actually don't know what ethnicity means because I don't care. Um, is the sexuality correct? Is the disability correct? And so on. And in my mind, what they're doing is checking boxes. They have every right to check whatever boxes they want. I don't care. But in terms of how I evaluate the performance, it's am I convinced by the person who's doing it? And is it the best person for the role? And there can be many best people for, for a role, depending on what you're looking for. Are you looking for box office? Are you looking for acceptability? Are you looking to make a point? Are you looking for the person who's most convincing or most moving? I do note in passing that when people talk about representation and diversity, they're very specifically not talking about the only type of representation that I'm interested in, which is philosophical representation and philosophical diversity. I, I know that uh, as a white person, I speak only from a position of power and privilege, um, but I just, I just don't care about skin color. I just, anything that, that is not chosen by somebody, I have really little interest in. So I'm not responsible for my pigmentation or lack thereof. Nobody else who's ever been born on planet earth has been responsible for that. So I don't care about it. I care about the choices that people make. Um, it's immaterial to me uh, what color people uh, are. It just doesn't matter. Um, I think there's a literalness on the other side of the debate, which is that if you're playing somebody, you have to embody all the outward uh, or inward ca uh, characteristics of that person. And I think if you're doing a literal documentary, it's different. So if we actually had Queen uh, Cleopatra available to us for this movie or TV series, I think, yeah, we should cast the bitch. But she's not available. She's been dead for a while. Um, so I don't. We're not doing a documentary. We're doing what's called a work of fiction, which means we're making it up. Which means there's imagination. Now, with a biopic or something that's based on fact, obviously you have to have more fidelity to the truth. But the truth is not always necessary, necessarily literal fact, and it's certainly not skin deep fact. Um, we're not doing journalism. We're doing art, in my opinion. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think of acting, and this applies to writing as well, they're looking at autobiography. They want you to go out there and tell your truth, and don't you dare tell anybody else's truth, because as we know, we all have different truths, and there's no such thing as one objective truth. I have zero interest in autobiography. I'm interested in empathy and imagination and observation and research, and as an actor and as a director, that's what I expect my, my actors to have, or my fellow actors, or whoever I'm directing or whoever I'm writing for, which is... I want you to have the empathy to get into somebody else's skin. And I actually mean skin in a non-literal sense there. I want you to have imagination to fill in the blanks. Um, if you need to do something that's particularly difficult, I need you to do observation, research, whatever it is. At the end of the day, you're going to convince me or you're not going to convince me. 
If you convince me better than the other people who are applying for the role and I'm in a director position, then I'm gonna cast you. And that's, that's what matters to me. Now, there are exceptions to this, of course. Um, for example, if I'm doing Death of a Salesman, I was in, at, at college, I was in an all black version of Death of a Salesman, but I was not in blackface because I played Stanley the waiter. So all of the family, all the key characters are black and I was white. I have zero complaints with that. It doesn't hurt the play in any way. Um, if the playwright had, expect, had expressed a preference that that not happen, I would have a problem with it, but Miller had no problem with it. I have no problem with it. Um, however, if they decided to cast one member of the family as white, I would have had a problem with that because then you're drawing attention to what's going on. You're saying, let's just accept the fact that four or five of the members of the family are black and we just have a white son in there. Then it becomes, that's what I'm thinking about for the rest of the play is the weird genetics of what's going on. But unless you push my face in something like that, I just don't care. The, the, I mean, the, if you were to change the races of everybody in Atlas Shrugged, you know, I, I don't speak for Ayn Rand clearly, but I don't care. If, if the actor can embody the role, great. I just, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, when, when, so, uh, when people's first response to hearing, to seeing a show like, and, and none of us, it sounds like actually saw this production of Cleopatra, but when uh, Jax, as you alluded to, all the observations are, wait a minute, this actress was black and Queen Cleopatra is a, a different color. It reminds me of what Miss Rand talked about in the article on racism is that racism is like this barnyard mentality because uh, uh, Paul, the way you're saying, it's like, they can only look at a perceptual level. Wait, wait, it's not, these two colors are not the same. So this thing sucks. You know, there's no sense of what the actor or the actress actually does. What you're alluding to Paul, I mean, the choices that he or she makes in the role and in the character. And, you know, my sense is, I don't really know much about Cleopatra, but she's more than a olive skinned person. That's not really, it's, it's about her ideas, the choices, the whole story. So, you know, I remember seeing Miss Saigon on Broadway, I don't know, 30 years ago now when it first premiered and they had a guy named Jonathan Price as the, the conductor who was, uh, I guess, supposed to be a kind of an Asian character. He was an Asian. And even back then there was this big to do, oh, how can you have a non-Asian playing an Asian? And I think, I, I thought what people realized was it's about an actor. Paul, as you said, it's called pretending. It's pretending to be some of yourself. It's convincing us with your voice, your body, your every, everything. So I, I always enjoy seeing interesting, unusual casting with good actors and actresses. And Robert points out, Robert is one of our, not only hosts here, but he's also one of our YouTube members. He points out Hamilton, Jax, to your point about seeing a founding father who maybe isn't exactly that same pigment or skin color. So I think Kathleen, uh, I'll quote Kathleen, who's also a Super Chat member, who says, acting is doing nothing with tremendous skill, quoting Michael Caine. So thank you all for your support. And uh, sounds like we're all of this, not a dissimilar mind here in terms of looking at the actor and not the skin color. And, and I will say, I absolutely love Hamilton. Um, and the reason, I think one of the reasons why I love it is because they put in um, characters of different races in, in characters. Um, I, they had uh, a black George Washington, right? Um, but, but they kept the, and, and I think what was really interesting about Hamilton was that they were sort of, they, they kept the, the British monarchy as white. 
and they didn't change that. And they and I think one of the cool things that uh, uh, that they were showing with Hamilton was sort of the the overall rebellious and revolutionary nature of the American spirit. Um, now, I think that there are cases where that absolutely doesn't work. If you did have, if you were trying to do a, and see, everybody knew in Hamilton, everybody knew what the, um, that, uh, that the races were different and that they did that for a, a specific reason. Um, another show that comes to mind is Shonda Rhimes Bridgerton. Um, where they sort of have this alternate uh, alternate aristocracy from the uh, 18th 19th century where they you could have royals as um as black people and they're all uh they're almost all black people and I remember my daughter saying that all of her friends really loved it at school and I'm like why do they love it so much so she's teenage years and she's like oh there's just a lot of like sex and you know uh soap opera stuff and and the really hot guys in it and I'm like okay uh and, but they're also like but we know it's not real and that's sort of you know and that's kind of one of the reasons why you know she kind of stopped watching it is because it's like there's there's no history here it's not really teaching us any particular history so I think that in some cases it is important to stay true to the um, true to the race or the gender even. Um, but there have been many, many successful shows. One that comes to mind is uh, Kung Fu, um, where David Carradine, um, it, it was a show that Bruce Lee brought to TV. He actually wrote the pilot script for it, and he was expecting to play the role of Kwai Chan Kang because Kwai Chan Kang is a uh, is a Chinese kung fu master who is traveling the West and brings his uh, brings his Eastern knowledge and and martial arts to the West. But there there were two reasons why they didn't cast Bruce Lee. One was because the uh, the producers thought that it would be very difficult for American audiences to understand his accent. Um, which valid, I can understand that. Um, and uh, and two. David Carradine just did the better audition. He came in and he absolutely embodied the role of Kwai Chan King. He was previously a dancer, uh, David Carradine. He didn't know any martial arts. He learned everything from scratch. He, you know, by the end of Kung Fu, he was, you know, in his like a true master of martial arts. Um, so I think that in some cases it it works really, really well. And what I also can't stand is this this whole, I feel like there's a trend now um in Hollywood where it you're it's it's some it's somehow considered cultural appropriation if you don't cast the exact race, gender, um disability of the of the person that you're meant to that you're meant to be portraying. And as Paul said to his point, it's called acting for a reason. <laughs> That's right. that's what's that's part of what's so offensive. There's a, this total uh, collectivist thing of like, wait a minute, that role is supposed to go to this group of limited people who have that particular skin color, and you're stealing it from them it's a, as if they have a, some kind of a right to it by virtue of their skin color. Thank you, Marilene. Two super generous contributions. Marilene says people who focus on skin color must miss a lot of potential enjoyment. I don't think social justice warriors are happy. Love what Paul said. And I, 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 just alluding to what Marilyn said, isn't it true that people, the so-called social justice warriors, race is always top of mind of them, for them. It just seems to be always, they're always very conscious of what people's races are and how, how that factors into anything. Uh, and it, it, 
and you know, as Paul, as you alluded to, this is nothing that anyone chooses. That is anyone, it doesn't tell us anything other than their chemical compounds in their skin. None of the yeah. active choices they make as rational individuals. The, the Kung Fu example is particularly interesting to me. Um, it was one of my favorite shows growing up. And the character Kwai Chang Kane is actually half American or half Caucasian and half Chinese. So I was particularly interested in the kerfluffle over who got the role because the complaint was, well, uh, David Carradine is not Chinese. Well, but I mean, it's like he's half, he's, the character's half American. So if a Chinese character can play a half American, why can't an American play a half Chinese? It just, I, I, I reject the idea that there should not be reciprocity in these things. I reject the idea that only white people can be prejudiced because uh, racism is a power position and it can only go downwards. I completely reject that. I think anybody who judges people on the basis of their race uh, negatively is a racist. And you know that, that's the situation. So yeah, I, the, the, the idea that their jobs are being stolen, which Jonathan just mentioned, I think that's one of the fears going on is you're taking our jobs. And I think there are other fears related to it. One is that white people are stealing our stories. You have no right to them. And my answer is they're not your stories. They're the stories of the people who live them. They're the stories of everybody who heard them, found out about them, was told them. You don't own your story unless I'm literally doing your life rights. Um, and you don't own your culture, and I don't own my culture. We share cultures, and if we didn't, we would be in the fucking Stone Ages, um, without you know, without getting the concept of of numbers from one culture and perhaps zeros from another culture, and the wheel from whatever culture and written language from another culture. We would not be having this fascinating conversation today. We would again be looking at cave paintings, and I don't paint well. Um, this is part of the cultural assimilation, cultural theft sort of thing. I don't know how you steal a culture. I only know how you can promulgate it. Um, and I think promulgating it is a fantastic thing. Um, when Paul Simon went to South Africa and did the Graceland album in the 80s, this became a huge bone of contention because apparently he wasn't supposed to do that. So he goes to a different country because he loves their music. He hears their music. He wasn't familiar with it. Somebody slips him a tape. He says, I got to go there. I got to see what these guys are doing. So he goes there, he pays the musicians that he's working with. It was either double or triple minimum. And obviously by definition, you only have to pay what the studio minimum is. So he's paying them more than anybody else is paying them, more than they're getting otherwise. In some cases, they're getting writing credits on his uh, songs. And by the way, Paul Simon doesn't give away writing credits on his songs. Um, he's bringing them to the United States, touring with them, making them, they're making a splash on the world stage. What did he steal? What did he prevent anybody from doing? How did the people who were left behind in South Africa not also benefit from this? And how did the people who participated with him not benefit from this? This is insane. Yeah, uh, and I'll just say that's how I learned about Ladysmith Black Mombazo was from uh, the Graceland album. Christopher says, you know, that's a beautiful record. Absolutely. And it just kind of spreads and shares that appreciation. And, and uh, I'll just say quickly, top of mind, uh, Jax, you mentioned a casting of Atlas Shrugged. Now I did see the first, maybe it was the second Atlas Shrugged movie. I don't remember much about the movies, but I do believe in one of the films, one of the actors who happened to play Eddie Willers happened to be African-American. I thought it was very good in the role. I thought it completely worked. And once you saw it, you were just like, oh yeah, that's Eddie Willers. There was no sense anymore. Like, wait a minute, Eddie Willers is black. How did that happen? It's just, this is the actor playing the role. And I thought he was one of the most memorable parts of 
fairly a, a not very memorable film, but um, to your memorable in all the wrong ways, unfortunately. Great actor, you can't keep your eyes off him or her. You know, you're, right. you're mesmerized and you buy it. You absolutely buy it. And that's what excites me on screen. And that, that was actually one of the things when Jennifer and I were writing the pilot script for The Strike, which is the reimagining of, of Atlas Shrugged, is we we did a lot. We we added in different different races and different and diversities, not because we wanted to tick any boxes, but because we wanted to show that this is what the world looks like today because we were doing it in, in present tense effectively or like five minutes in the future. And then we changed the setting from New York to San Francisco because it was more high tech. Um, and so we needed to, we, we needed to sort of show that this is like what the world looks like today. It's it's not all like back in the fifties. I understand it was, you know, the people that were running the world that were, were businessmen, at least in the United States were mostly white men. Um, and the fact that you have a character like Dagny Taggart, which, you know, who comes up in as, as a female, I mean, that was shocking enough back then when Atlas Shrugged came out. And so we kind of we wanted to sort of pay homage to having that sort of shock factor of these are the people that are in these roles today. Um, but we also didn't want it to be like, oh, that's so shocking. But here, here's the thing, too. In screenwriting, one of the one of the things that I had to learn about was um, when you're when you introduce a character, you introduce them as, you know, generally all capitals. And then you have parentheses for generally the age, the age range that they're at. Um, and and you give a description of that character if it's relevant, if it's necessary. Um, you don't include what race that character is unless it's absolutely necessary for casting. Um, and so that's the other that's the other thing too is that <clears throat> to what Paul was saying, it's which actor can can best embody that character and bring that character to life. And I say, you know, it's completely up to the producers and up to the streamers. It's, you know, they're, they are like their own private employer. They can cast whoever they want to cast. And ideally, they should cast the person, the actor who does the absolute best embodiment of that role. And unfortunately, what I'm seeing a lot of today is terrible shows that have sacrificed story for the sake of diversity and including, you know, it, it just all inclusivity. But now, and then what happens is they sort of hijack these, what could be a really interesting story with social justice warrior themes. Um, and it really shows, I, I think, I love Rotten Tomatoes because you get to see the critics reviews and you get to see the viewers reviews. And I will usually always pay far more attention to the viewers reviews than the critics because the critics are coming at it from um, from that sort of woke, you know, perspective. But viewers are like, I want to be entertained. I want to I want to tell I want to know about a good story. Um, and and I think it's a really sad trend that's happening in Hollywood today. But I do think that the ratings and reviews will overcome. Um, people are that's not right. going to sit down and watch terrible stories. I think one of the things that um, that I think Daniel mentioned in the um, uh, in the snippet for today's show was that Netflix it went from um, I think it it went it. It made the Netflix top 10 list of stream, the Queen Cleopatra made the Netflix list of top 10 streaming 
I don't believe that for a second, actually. I don't think that Netflix is lying about it, but there's a way that they can kind of juke the numbers. What they can do is, I mean, if you ever, if you're watching Netflix and you get suggestions, suggested for you, new, just in, you know, Queen Cleopatra. And what happens? You click on it, you look at the, the trailer, you watch the first five minutes, you're like, this is boring. Well, that counts as most streamed. Right. It's not like uh, it's it's not like you're putting in ratings in Netflix. You're just looking at the most streamed. So I do. Um, I, I think that that's uh, that's a little bit misleading. But here's, here's Christopher. Excuse me. Here's Robert. who says the collectivist obsession with race is a remarkable failure to be reality focused and self-interested. Show me a collectivist who is also happy if you can. More on this later on Life on Earth, which is Robert's show, actually, which is coming up at 10 p.m. UK. It's on the joy of selfishness, justice, mercy, and benevolence. So don't go anywhere. Keep, you know, lock us in, subscribe to us, because Robert's coming up with a, a really fascinating point on exactly this. You know, and, and I'll just say quickly, I know we're, we're going to close up here in just a minute, but, you know, Jack said, I'm, I'm less worried about the reviewers than I am simply about the culture that now seems to focus on race. Whereas again, when I was a kid, more in the, the 80s and 90s, the interest was in trying to move past race, to look at great actors, look at great actresses. But now it's almost like we're reverting to that perceptual level where all you can see is someone's skin color and you say, take it off a box. Well, did this role go to this farm animal or that farm animal to paraphrase Miss Rand again? So I think we're fighting against this culture that unfortunately is moving more in a collectivist way. Yeah, I think I mean this this virus has infected writing for some time now. Um, if you don't include diverse characters in your writing, how dare you exclude them? If you include them, how dare you appropriate their culture? You're not the right person to write them. It's a gotcha. There's there's literally no way out of that box. It's perfect. So you're guilty. It's the it's the liberals version or the left's version of original sin. There's also a literalism that I when I read reviews of uh, when I read a book, I'll, I'll look at the Amazon reviews afterwards because I'm always interested in, in hearing what other people think in case I miss something or in case there's an interesting disagreement. And there's a there's a remarkable literal literalness on the part of some readers of they assume that the events in the book either really happened, even though it's marked as fiction, or they assume that whatever the main character says necessarily reflects the view of the author. And the author should be castigated, for example, if the main character himself or herself is a racist or a serial killer. That inability to distinguish between imagination and recording and between the person who is coming up with the idea and the characters that, that are in the book, I find scarier than anything else that we're talking about. That, that literal feeling of, it must be what he means, and he must have lived it himself because it's in a book. I, do, you I, mean, you know, do you mean that Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man, wasn't really a million dollar man? He I was guess. He was worth only 900,000, Jonathan. That was inflation. That's the BS that pro wrestling can be relied upon to lie to us with. Well, this is such a fascinating topic, and you know, we've only started to swat it around and bat it around today. Uh, but, you know, I think we don't probably all agree that, you know, objectivism is really unique in its individualist perspective on racism and race. I know we've all read Ms. Rand's article on that. We maybe we'll post it in the uh, in the chat and, and encourage other people to read it as well and encourage them to stay tuned. As I said, at 10 p.m. UK, Robert's coming up with Life on Earth. We're here Monday through Friday with our original show with objectivists, inspired by objectivism, all students of objectivism. Um, so been great to be with you guys for the daily collective today and, and hang out on this most interesting topic Thank thanks you. everybody
We'll see you guys next week.